and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, I am so very excited. We have Alex Conrad, a senior editor at Forbes. So he's done a lot of other super impressive, very interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask him that much about. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you. Are you ready to dive in? Yeah, I'm excited to not talk about my work at all. Let's do it. Woo, me too. (laughs) This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Bets Connect, a recruiting platform unlike any other. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Bets has spent more than a decade building relationships with the world's most innovative companies and professionals. And for the first time ever, you can access this network with Bets Connect. As the only go-to-market recruiting platform built by recruiters and powered by recruiters, Connect enables you to search through a network of vetted go-to-market professionals actively looking for their next opportunity and make better hires faster. In addition, Bets Connect clients the ROI within 90 days. Plus, if you're looking for your next big opportunity, you can join the Bets Network and get connected with the world's most innovative companies that are looking to hire go-to-market professionals like you. Learn more about hiring top talent or finding your next role at BetsRecruiting.com slash non-technical. Alex is a senior editor at Forbes, covering venture capital, cloud, and enterprise software out of New York. He edits the Midas List, the Midas List Europe, Cloud 100 List, and 30 Under 30 for venture capital. And he recently launched the Midas Touch newsletter, which includes original reporting and analysis about the venture capital ecosystem. Alex Conrad, welcome to Non-Technical. Thank you. And I have to say, after that description, I understand why your podcast focuses on what we don't do for work. (laughs) You wouldn't want to talk about all that right now? Come on. We got lists. That's a lot, you know. (laughs) Just read it. Don't talk about it, for sure. There we go. Sharp left, sharp left. Well, I'm super excited that we're able to do the show. And the way that you and I know each other, though, is related to your bio and that we connected over the Cloud 100. We did. We were both captives of Bessemer Venture Partners. <laughs> and Salesforce Ventures. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was not so bad, right? You were, you were a great host there. Thank you. I had a great time. I love talking to people and there were particularly interesting people to talk to. So really no complaints on my end. The key is to just breeze through the cloud, right? Right out the other side. That's right. So Alex, you are in Brooklyn right now. Is that right? Yeah, I'm in Williamsburg. Wow, so hip. Yeah, I moved here two weeks before the (laughs) pandemic. Did you really? Just in time for every restaurant to close and and all my friends to leave me. Yes. Where did you move from? I moved from the East Village in Manhattan, where I lived uh, most of my 20s in a small walk-up, which uh, I loved, but would have been a real nightmare in a work-from-home setting. Wow. Okay, so it sounds like you got out at the right time. I lived in the East Village for a long time. Oh, yeah? Whereabouts? Second between first and second, fifth between first and second, and 13th between first and second. Oh, wow. There's that deli on 13th and first that I would always oh, see really hung over people. And yeah, exactly. So there you Bacon, go. Bacon, egg, and cheese. Absolutely. Got to get a BEC at Hamptons. <laughs> Got it. So Alex, let me ask you this. How did you spend your last day off? How did I spend my last day off? I often say I'm going to read a book and then it's a real question of if I actually do. Yeah. So I did not this time, but I thought about it. Okay. You thought about it. Yeah. How much thought did you put into it? Was it like, I could read a book? I think I put in as much time thinking about reading my book as I would have spent reading the book. So really it's the same, you know? Yeah. It's even better. Yeah. That is even better because you didn't spend the time reading it. So there's still book left for you to read. You were saving it. Exactly. But actually the real answer is I spent the time working on a couple personal writing projects because I am just 
sometimes overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by all the professional writing I'm doing. It can kind of feel the same after a while. And so to work on something just really fun was actually theoretically a good use of my free time. Probably not good for relaxation, but good for doing the things I want to do. Personal growth and fulfillment. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also important. Relaxing is important and also personal growth and fulfillment is important too. So would you say it was fun? Did you have a fun day or was it more of a productive day? When I'm my own boss setting my own hours, I procrastinate. I don't feel guilty. So I would say it was a great day. I got some stuff done and I got to work that kind of leisurely six hour day that, you know, I think I would Mm -hmm. work in a dream world usually. Mm. That is a nice leisurely pace. Set the scene for me a little bit. Are you at home? Do you work on these personal projects at coffee shops? I would probably in a normal world, but I think I've fallen out of the habit now. And so Mm -hmm. what that would mean is probably taking my dog to the dog run for at least an hour. Oh yeah, you have a hyperactive dog, is that right? Oh yeah, I have a seven-month-old puppy who they warned, like, do not adopt this dog unless you're ready for a crazy dog. And we were like, (laughs) we got this. And she really is hyperactive. She delivered. Oh, yeah. She needs two trips to the dog run a day or she is chewing everything up. But it's great. Yeah. So, you know, you you take her out, you get a nice overpriced iced coffee here in Brooklyn and it's like 11 a.m. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to write for a solid five hours. That's amazing. Do you listen to music while you write? Okay, I'm about to share something very embarrassing. Let me hear it. When I am trying to do deep, long, like work in a zone. Yes. You know, more than a few minutes, no emails. Mm -hmm. I will sometimes listen to video game soundtracks. Really? Yeah. I don't think that's embarrassing at all. Wait, the actual soundtrack or like orchestral reimagining of the Ocarina of Time? It's usually that kind of musical score that is playing in the background of a video game like Zelda or Assassin's Creed or something. It is all kind of like vaguely classical, but kind of like exciting. And and yet I don't get distracted by lyrics because when I listen to bands that I actually like, I end up Mm. just listening to the music and not actually writing anything coherent. I relate to that. If I'm listening to music and there are lyrics, it has to be a song with lyrics I know so well that I'm not paying attention to them. Yeah, I feel that. But then I would end up with copy that was like mixed with killer's lyrics or something (laughs) like that. It'd be very embarrassing. Very embarrassing. You'd be like, this seed stage startup, is it human or is it dancer? (laughs) It's coming out of its cage and it's feeling just fine. (laughs) That's amazing. I would totally read that article, by the way. So maybe you should start listening to the killers when you write. Are the video game soundtracks to video games that you personally have played and enjoyed? Or is it just any video game soundtrack? Usually just one that I've heard before. So if I've somehow come across a friend playing it, or I just am aware that it would have sort of that good ambient music, yeah. that solves the problem. Actually, it's it's funny. I've also recently found a musical group or person. I don't really know who they are, but they specialize only in ambient music. Really? Yeah, it's called Corn Tooth is the band. Corn Very weird Tooth. name. Okay, shout out Corntooth. Surely a listener of non-technical. Like all workflow music, which is just, I guess, like this. So I've been doing it with nerdy video game scores, but I guess there's a whole genre now of music just for people who get distracted easily. Oh my God, I should check that out. I listen to a lot of lo-fi beats when I work. There you go. (laughs) And I'm sure Spotify has like 100 playlists for lo-fi work. Spotify sees me coming a mile away. I also found some really interestingly named Spotify playlists one time when, (laughs) this is a while ago, I was listening to sad music because I was going through a breakup and Spotify started recommending the most upsetting playlists ever to me. One was just called Devastating and it was the saddest songs they could find. What would be really bad is if Spotify anticipated your breakup and so like three days before the breakup started oh being like devastating yes. and then you're like, 
You got the dot, dot, dot and Spotify new first. Spotify new. Wait, I wish that they had recommended a playlist that was you should break up. (laughs) That would have been good. I could have seen it coming. There you go. I'm glad you're not listening to that anymore, at least. Same. Don't you think Spotify probably knows based on your music? They probably know a lot more than they're letting on. Kind of like how people thought that Amazon or these other companies were predicting when people were pregnant. They were, though. Effectively, it was Target. Kmart? Insane. I haven't been pregnant, so I'm not sure. But I remember that really freaking people out. Yeah. It was something that happened actually as a result of direct mail. They sent direct mail paper home to people anticipating that they were pregnant. And I believe the story that made the rounds is that a father got one for his teenage daughter and was furious that they would send such a thing. And then it was revealed that she did, in fact, turn out to be pregnant. Wow. I think this was in my intro to marketing class at NYU or something (laughs) like that, honestly, is why I know this. Well, I guess Spotify would have to be like, here's your sad boy playlist um, with 10% off from Seamless. And you're just like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which honestly, at that point, I would have taken them up on it. I would have been like, that sounds great. Thank you. Fire up devastating. Let's get some Suvla in here. So Alex, have you ever been known as the something person, like at high school or college or at a job or something? As a kid, I was really kind of a chess dork. So I would say when I switched schools in seventh grade, I was a chess nerd and that was rough. I also was really short and had glasses and I was not really prepared for oh a new school. Okay. Then I grew like six inches over yeah. summer and oh, everything wow, was okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so was there a big difference in how people perceived you six inches prior and then six inches after? It's funny. I think a lot of the stuff that I felt like I needed to hide in my early teens ended up mm. being cool again. So Me it definitely too. was a little strange. And I also felt kind of embarrassed that I had walked away from some of those nerdy things yes. or or hid them because mm-hmm. suddenly even before Queen's Gambit, suddenly like randomly a lot of people I knew started to get into chess. And I was like, yes. I play chess. And they were like, you've literally never mentioned <gasps> that you played serious chess. And I'm like, whoops. Yes. It was something that didn't make you cool. People thought it was lame. It wasn't so much that. It was that I just wanted to be kind of blending in. You know, I didn't want to seek oh. out attention, at least then. Now I think sure. selectively I like attention, although it can yeah. be a really double-edged sword. Back then, you know, who wanted to be like, hey, everyone, please identify me as the chess person or the emo person. I mean, I, I just didn't want to have that epithet. Were you at risk of being the emo person? No, I was not. Oh, God. I was really hoping we were about to get a Fallout Boy fan club reveal or something like that, which I would take. No. The most embarrassing band for me was I really liked this local New York City band that only people who went to high school around 2002 to 2007 would know (laughs) called The Bravery. And I love The Bravery. They had one song that your listeners would probably remember, An Honest Mistake. An Honest Mistake, of course. I didn't go to high school in New York, but I went to high school at boarding school in Connecticut. Well, close enough. Mm -hmm. There were New Yorkers at that school, I'm sure. 100% listening to The Bravery. That song was maybe on a TV show as well. I think so. Maybe The O.C. or something. We learned all our music, like Modest Mouse and everything was discovered, at least for my school, from The O.C. Of course. I loved Modest Mouse. You know what? I love Modest Mouse. That hasn't changed. I'll stick my stake in that ground. (laughs) We're getting old, I guess. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Are we getting old? I think so. If we're reminiscing about early 2000s music. Oh, fuck. Damn. It came out of nowhere. It happened so fast. The other one I wanted to make fun of is that when I was a freshman in college, I said something tipsy once that my friends still make fun of me for, and I will gladly share it, Um, which is I was going around a party talking to people, and one of my friends kind of was like, gosh, you're really 
You're really uh, bouncing around there, Alex. I think they were saying, you know, maybe you're being too loud or you should uh, oh, you should oh. probably, you know, chill out. <laughs> but I was just so excited that finally, you know, I was enjoying talking to everyone. And I said, yeah, you know, I feel like I'm the mingler. Oh, my God. For years, if they ever wanted to really put me in my place, my friends would just be like, how's the mingler doing? Oh, we haven't seen God. him in a while. <laughs> it's important to have friends that know where the bodies are buried, right? Yes. And then they only share if, if you okay it. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah. That, that's what makes them a friend, I guess. I agree. I was spending time with some friends recently who've known me for over 20 years. And woo, you just can't get away with anything. It's good. It's good to be held accountable sometimes, you know? People probably think you're too cool from Twitter. Oh, sure. Let me tell you who does not think I'm too cool. Any of my actual friends, Alex. There you go. Oh, it's so funny. Wait, so do you still play chess now? I have the app on my phone, and sometimes if I'm procrastinating, I will play a game or two. But I recently went through another phase where I deleted it. Oh. Because I'm also a very psychotically competitive person, and I have a rating in my head that I deserve to have. Like the Grandmaster? I'm not a Grandmaster. I don't know what that means. I just said it. It was the name of the chess computer game I used to have. Well, if you're a Grandmaster, you're like very good. Okay. Better than me. If I lose a game, I'm like, oh, I need to get that rating back. And so I'm going to play one more game to get back to where I started. But then if you lose two, this is like the the degenerate gambler. You have trouble walking away from the table. Right. So then my partner will come over and be like, you've been playing chess on your (laughs) iPhone for two hours. And I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) Wow. Anyway, so I'm not playing at the moment, but I do play. Okay. Because I wanted to get into chess a few weeks ago, I decided. Because of Queen's Gambit or what was spurring that? the Queen's Gambit was on at the dentist. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) My sister also asked me to teach her and forgot, and I just let it go. You didn't want to teach her chess? It takes a long time to learn chess. Not a casual ask. How long do you think it would take me if I started tomorrow? Because I know how to play the game, but I Mm -hmm. don't know how to play the game at an adult level. I know how to play the game the way I learned it when I was in fourth grade. I think to be another person who hadn't played since fourth grade, you would need just like 10 hours probably. But then you would run into anyone who had put in those 10 hours and suddenly you would lose again. And that's the thing about chess is unless you're pretty much Magnus Carlsen, who's the best player in the world usually, someone's always better than you. You just find that out. How do you feel about that? I don't like it. Yeah. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Probably why I stopped playing chess in the first place. You know, one of my favorite songs ever though, you maybe want to listen to this. It's called There's Always Someone Cooler Than You by Ben Folds. And that's the whole message of the song. I didn't have to learn that lesson very hard, so yeah. Me neither. (laughs) That's the song I wrote my college entrance essay about. Wow, successfully? Yes. Nice. It's a better story if you actually got into the college, I guess. If if you were like, yeah, I wrote about that, didn't get it. (laughs) It didn't work. So there's always someone cooler than you and there's always someone better than you at chess. And those two things are just inherent truths that we have to embody and know as we go through our daily lives, unfortunately. Lessons learned today, for sure. Yeah, I drop a lot of knowledge on this podcast, Alex. Um, (laughs) Try to keep up. Can you imagine if I was serious and I was like that? (laughs) You could get five Twitter threads out of that, yeah. Oh, gross. Missing Um, out on the content. (laughs) Is there a fad that you look back on participating in, and that could be fashion, workout, cultural, whatever, that now makes you a little cringy? Definitely. I was a member of a CrossFit gym for a few years. (gasps) That's that's gotta be as cringy as it gets. Okay, tell me about that journey for you. What prompted you to join CrossFit? (laughs) One of my friends runs a fitness-focused media company and got involved with some CrossFit folks, and they had a gym in Union Square in New York, right near where I lived. Okay. And so they invited me to be one of the first members of the gym. Okay, exclusivity. Yeah, I was like, ooh, I can be early. And and then also, Mm. I I, I get these big aspirations that I never follow through on. So I was like, 
this will be a change for me. I'm going to become that like super jacked fitness guy. Nice. Okay, sure. But Mm. I had the locked in early rate at the gym. And so I didn't feel like I could quit my membership because what if then I suddenly changed my mind and had to pay more again in the future? That'd be unacceptable. Right. So I was the absentee uncle of the gym for years. I'd come back (laughs) for a workout once in a while and people would be like, oh, did you just sign up? And I'd be like, actually, I've been a member since the first month. And they were like, because yeah. we've literally never seen you here in five years. <laughs> and that was embarrassing. That's amazing. Did you ever do any of the workouts consistently? Or was it more just popping in, maybe give a little wave and head back out? <laughs> I'd have a week or two where I was like, I'm going to get back into it. I'm paying this money. Yeah. So I knew the movements, but I was always making friends with the other newcomers. Like I was, you know, like, yeah. oh, I've, yeah, I've never done this before either. And then I do that again a year later. That's amazing. You're like the guy that kept coming back for senior year of high school and just like kept yep. graduating with the senior class and then coming back for more in the fall. Yeah, and people who did recognize me probably just didn't say anything because they're like, that's kind of sad. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Damn, well, did you lift any tires? That's the only thing I know about CrossFit. Actually, and you throw ropes at the ground. They're ropes and tires sometimes. The most embarrassing was we would jog around Union Square as part of a workout. I'm very upset to hear that. You would see a pack of these 30 goofy 20, 30 somethings all just like aggressively running through like a hot dog stand. And you you knew the hot dog stand guy was just like, oh, yeah. And people were like, oh, here come the annoying CrossFit people. Did you ever see someone you knew? Probably. And I've just blocked it out of my memory. I would never want somebody I know to watch me run. I wouldn't want anyone to watch me run, even someone I didn't know. (laughs) Well, then I kind of understand why you didn't end up going back to CrossFit. Are you still a member? (laughs) It took the pandemic and the COVID shutdown for me to cancel my my membership. Wow. Well, they say that the pandemic really changed people. So I guess they're right. It made me give up my lie of pretending to be a CrossFitter. It's true. That's good. It showed you who you really are. The pandemic made us all more self-aware. Saved me a little bit of money, too. There you go. Is there anything that your family did growing up that at the time you thought was normal and then later you realized was sort of strange? Yeah. Uh, You know, I think my family is dysfunctional in a lot of the traditional weird ways. The weirdest thing I can think of is that when I was a really little kid, my dad would tell business lessons to me and my sister using a fake, cynical Mickey Mouse voice. Oh, boy. So it's like evil Mickey Mouse teaching us life lessons like it's all about the merchandising. (laughs) And never sell away your life rights, kids. And so three-year-old me would be like, wow, thank you, cynical Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Did cynical Mickey Mouse character have a name? He just said he was Mickey. But we knew from the voice that this was Mickey, the business manager who had seen some stuff. (laughs) Wow. Did your dad do any other voices or was it just Mickey? That's the only one that I somehow can't forget that haunts me. I'm never going to be able to forget it, even just hearing it the one time. (laughs) What is the lesson that has stuck with you the most from Cynical Mickey? Honestly, it's that it's all about the merchandising. Think (laughs) about it. It's relevant to so many dumb things that we deal with today. It really is. That's a really great lesson. I didn't know that Mickey had so much insight into how to win at capitalism and business. Mickey had a tough life, ended up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and just really had some <laughs> some hard lessons to teach. Oh my God. I love that now you're someone who sort of talks about business lessons. It kind of all came full circle. Yeah, but I don't use voices if I can help it. So that's, that's the only yet. difference. Maybe this is going to come with age. Maybe if you have kids, Cynical Mickey will make a, a resurgence. I'll practice on my puppy. Oh, <laughs> okay. Go with me on this. If you were kidnapped, 
and you needed to secretly let your friends and family know you were in trouble, what is the one sentence that you would say? Won't be checking my phone for a couple days. (laughs) They would know? They would be very concerned. Do you check your phone all the time? I'm usually checking Twitter on my phone to procrastinate from checking Twitter on my desktop. I sometimes shut my computer and then I turn and I take out my phone. What do you think about that? I think it's still less embarrassing than having Twitter on your big screen and your little screen (laughs) at the same time, which sometimes I catch myself doing. I didn't know that legally you were allowed to do that. I thought that opened up some sort of wormhole that you become at risk of falling into. Big screens for work, little screens for fun. You know, it's like, you know, you're going to do an extra bad tweet if it's from your phone. (laughs) I love the idea of an extra bad tweet. (laughs) You're just like, people are going to get really annoyed with me on this one. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. What about from an iPad? Have you ever tweeted from an iPad? Then it's probably like all properly capitalized. And I know. like it, it comes off big boomer energy, I think, from an iPad. Nothing to me has a more specific energy than someone holding up an iPad to take a photo. <laughs> Have you seen that happen? I watched some of the Olympics this summer and one of the moms of one of the US Olympians was like taking a photo of her kid win a gold medal with her iPad. Oh boy. The announcer was like, we're filming this. You don't need to take a photo. I've never understood that. People taking photos on their mobile device at like big public events. Like at the Oscars, sometimes people take out their phone and I'm like, we're all watching it too. It's on TV. I think about those folders of photos that people take, even they never looked at again, like fireworks photos. Dude, there's like nothing worse than a photo of fireworks. I can't believe people are still doing this. I think Twitter has made it worse because they are like, maybe I can be the one person to get 10,000 likes from, from my view of the river. Never once have I looked at a photo of a firework and thought, Nice. Good. (laughs) Good. I'm so glad I saw that. So people would know you were in trouble if you were going to be away from your phone. Does that mean that you're good at responding to texts? Actually, yes. Tell me about that, because I don't think this is my top quality, honestly. So I have that kind of uh, compulsion where if the little numbers are popping up on my phone, it drives me nuts. Sure. So like, unread email, notifications from any app. I turn off the notifications for most apps because I just can't deal with it. But if I have them on, I need to at least open it and then maybe I'll just never respond. Most of the time I will open the text because otherwise it's just hanging over me and and driving me nuts that I have like three unread, seven unread, whatever. The people who have like a thousand unread messages actually blow my mind. I just, I don't know how they I have a friend like that. And every time I see his phone, it is very upsetting emotionally. Is it performative is my question. Like, are they doing it to show other people? Like, I don't read my texts. Like, look at this. That's a great question. I'll ask. (laughs) Because they definitely know that they're getting attention from it, right? Because any of their friends who see it are like, dude, you have too many unread messages. Oh my God, I've never thought of it like this. Think about it. Even people who post a photo to social media, like a screenshot, yeah. If they have their unread messages in there or their battery is low. Why is it if you post a screenshot and your battery is low, some jabroni comes flying out of the fucking woodwork to be like, oh, watch out, better charge your phone. It's like, dude, I took this four days ago, first of all. I'm fine. What do they think they're accomplishing from that? You know, I think they're showing that they're more responsible than you because they oh want God. to charge your phone. Not that they ever will, but they would charge your phone. <laughs> if I owned that phone, it'd be fully charged. Exactly. Okay. I'm not very good at responding to texts. I'm good at reading them. I read them and then I put my phone down. 
Do you have red receipts on? No. That to me is one of the most unbelievable inventions that people willingly give into. Do you have red receipts on? No, but I see people who do it not as giving into an invention, but just messing with people. It's like they want you to know that they read your text, but didn't bother to reply. I'm not very good anymore at responding to texts, but I feel shame about it. I think it's shameless to have red receipts on and be shitty at responding to texts. <laughs> I don't do it either, but I think it's a power move when people leave me on red. I'm just like, okay, okay. Wow. Maybe I'll turn red receipts on just for you so that whenever we okay. text, you could do the same though. And that could be our little moment. I'll just have to change how I would text you and be like, Alexis, don't reply. <laughs> If, if you have an wow. opening for me to come back and plug something, just don't respond and I'll assume it's a yes. That's hysterical. Wow, that's a really good point. I do sometimes front load texts with, hey, no response necessary. I know you're really busy. But is that to get them to respond? No, that's if I like legitimately don't need a response. Okay, but then why would you be messaging them if you don't need a response? If it's like an FYI. Okay. <laughs> so just like sharing. <laughs> Like, hey, I just got on the subway. It was pretty crowded. No need to respond, though. I just I just felt like I needed to share that with somebody. Yeah, it, that's what I'm writing usually. I'm, hey, Dwayne Reed was actually out of paper towels. No response necessary. I just wanted you to know. Yeah, I feel that. Those are I the types that. of texts I send. I need the emotional support. I need to know that someone is listening. I don't get enough of that from having a podcast <laughs> and tweeting. <laughs> See, I was not worried about being the center of attention. This was never a question for me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and now here we are. Becoming a writer, you have to embrace the attention because otherwise you literally are bad at your job. It would also be hard to be a podcaster or a comedian and be uncomfortable with people looking at you or listening to you. Yeah, except I do have some weird sympathy, love for the people who live stream things to like no one, you know? There are streamers mm. who will be streaming to one or zero people or yeah. doing a, when Periscope was a thing, they'd be like doing live video yeah. and you could see like you are one of three people watching. And like there was something pure and innocent about that. Yes, there's something beautiful about that. But what is not beautiful is accidentally joining an Instagram live. True. It's deeply stressful to me. I've never gone live on Instagram for that reason. I do them for work occasionally through the <gasps> Forbes account, which requires really? all sorts of uh, hoops to jump through. And then the guest is always someone who thinks they're really busy and important and they're never on time. And so you're just sitting there for like 10 minutes like, uh, so-and-so is going <laughs> to join any minute now. And people are like, you suck, you suck. Where's so-and-so? Like, who is this guy? What's what's up with his apartment? And like, they're just like critiquing you for 10 minutes while you're waiting for the person to show up. And then they're just like, oh, sorry. I was just like busy with something else. And you're like, this is our scheduled Instagram live. You don't take me oh seriously. God. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so funny. Alex, I would go on Instagram Live if you were the person interviewing me. That would be my first Instagram Live. Oh, uh, thank you so much. And I wouldn't make you wait. I might leave you on red. I wouldn't make you wait. Okay, I'll keep that in mind for sure. Good. So Alex, what's the tiniest hill you're willing to die on? So something like inconsequential that you would really go to bat for. There are a couple of grammar mistakes that just drive me insane that sure. I have to resist correcting my own loved ones on. And it mm. just really... So one is people writing just the like individual hyphen when they mean an M dash. Okay, yes. You know that's not right. You know it's you, not you right. And it doesn't to, look it right. It looks wrong. It looks wrong. It looks wrong. Yeah, it looks like you're you're creating some dumb word. Yes. Okay, and then the other one is when people use I wrong and I think they think it sounds smarter, it drives me insane. So like, 
I and Alexis mm. were on a podcast or mm. this means so much to Alexis and I. And it's yes. like, no, that's just not right. You right. know that it's me. Mm. They think that me sounds dumb. So I is what they use at all what costs. What happened is that when you're in elementary school, you learn that rule that I think what happens is most people get corrected once at a young age and then they over-index for the rest of their lives. Fair enough. I would just say to everyone, take out the other person. If it's you're the only one in the sentence, it's me or I. And then it's the same with the other person, right? So would you say, I going to the gym? No. <laughs> but that's like, I and Alexis go to the gym now. It's like, no. what? No. Uh, anyway, so very petty. It's not cool to bring up grammar. This is the tiniest one I would die on. I love it. Okay, so some questions for you on that. First question is, you said you no longer correct loved ones. Did you used to and it went badly? Definitely. I used to be that compulsive corrector. Let's say we knew each other, the amount that we know each other for real, which is like not super well, but I know who you are. Would you correct me? No. Really? Okay. So how close would you have had to be to correct someone? This one came up the other day. I actually said the name of a nightclub, which I hadn't been to in a decade in what I thought was the more generic, accessible way in a story. Okay. And someone stopped and said, it's actually pronounced Le Bain. And I was like, I'm sorry, are we in Paris? Like, oh God. Wait, the, I was literally thinking, which club was it? And it was Le Bain, not Le Bain. In French, it would it's be Le Bain. Bain. They're like, excuse me, the one by the Highline, it is Le Bain. Someone actually corrected you? Yeah, just mid-flow, mid-story. And I was just like, uh-huh, okay. Sometimes you don't use the douchey French pronunciation. I always feel right? douchey when I call it Le Bain. Because most people know it as Labane. And so I say that because I feel like that's what other people know it as. And Alexis, you are an entertainer and I'm a storyteller and I do the same thing. So I okay. knowingly dumbed it down to Labane and I got called out. Alex, it's hard being better than everyone else. Do you know what I mean? It's like I was trying to make life easy for you and now you're coming at me. God, you were just trying to accommodate a plebe, a basic plebe by dumbing down the name of famous <laughs> top of the standard bar. LeBain. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is he going to say LeBain? Is he going to say One Oak? I was wondering if someone was going to tell you that it stands for one of a kind. I didn't know that. I had prefaced it with a club I actually used to go to once or twice, whereas mm -hmm. I've never gotten into One Oak in my life. And it's, Oh, really? Well, I stopped trying years ago, and now it's like a thing. <laughs> if 25-year-old Alex wasn't good enough for One Oak, you know 35 will not be. <laughs> If you can't handle me at my 25-year-old, you don't deserve me at my 32-year-old successful journalist, One Oak. I may be verified on Instagram now, but it's too late, One Oak. No, it's too late. Wait, Alex, we should go to One Oak. <laughs> I'll do a live follow-up with you from there anytime, but we'll have to retell the story. Okay, so Alex, tell me this. Who would play you in a movie about your life? And should this movie be a biopic, so start to finish, or should we focus in on a particularly interesting chapter of the Alex Conrad story? I was thinking that historically I used to say Topher Grace for this, but I think he's like really old now. Really? Which shows that I'm out of touch. I think he's in his like 40s. Okay. I don't want to see the disturbing thing here, but I feel like I need a new person for this. Wow. What is the ideal age for an actor to play a 32-year-old these days? Is the movie basically going to be taking place all in one year or a couple of years? Or do we need somebody who can age down and age up a little bit? Well, I was thinking it could just be like basically Dune and Timothy Chalamet could just be me. <laughs> <laughs> we just say it's me, like rename the character as Alex. Okay. You're saying no likeness <laughs> at all. I mean, we're going for the idealized self. Yeah, your idealized version of yourself is, Tim is Timothy Chalamet. If Jared Leto can play Adam Newman, then yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my god. That's a great point. Yeah, I don't know. But who would play you? Who would play me? I mean, I would like a cameo in this film. Because I feel like we should cover that you were on this podcast. That seems like a big moment. I think the whole thing would have to take a real turn after this podcast. Something we talked about would come back to haunt me in a big Mm -hmm. way. Maybe this is the beginning. Would it be One Oak? Would it be there's an emergency at LeBan and I can't (laughs) say it? Or would someone leave me on red and it would tragically affect my career? I think what would really happen is that in this conversation, if let's say this is the opening of the movie, we would learn something about you that you would then have to overcome Throughout the arc of the film. A dramatic game of chess on my phone. A dramatic game of chess, exactly. (laughs) Oh my God, that'd be so funny. Okay, so who was going to play me? Well, you know, I've gotten a couple different people, but I think that if the role was me, the podcaster, then I would say Anna Kendrick should do it. Okay, I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. What do you think? Do you sing though? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so we can make it a musical with with Anna Kendrick. Oh, great. Oh, that's amazing. So Anna Kendrick and Timothy Chalamet will be starring in the (laughs) musical... (laughs) production of your life. Yeah, which is big screen, little screen. (laughs) Wow, this thing is going to do numbers, okay? I wish that Quibi was still around. It could be a beautiful seven-minute film on Quibi. Producers, hit us up, please. We we really need it. (laughs) Alex, what is the most memorable gift that you've ever received or given? I would say when I was a kid, I got a signed first edition of this author I really loved. Oh, really? Then I ended up with three other copies of the book, but there's one that I know is better. It was this spy author, John Le Carre. I loved his books as a kid and like they're all really fun movies. And so I just randomly have this like really fancy copy of his book. And that weirdly, I think it was just like the fact that people knew who my favorite author was yes. blew me away at the time because I just like didn't think I really was talking about that. And so that meant a lot to me. How old were you? I was probably like 12. Oh, wow. And who gave you the book? It was my father. Oh, that's a really lovely so, gift. Yeah, I'd say like that's a little more memorable than AirPods, although those were a very practical, <laughs> great gift in the year of 2021. <laughs> my fiance. Okay. They're a great gift. That's an amazing gift. You want to hear something really embarrassing? She gave me the V1 AirPods back when those were new. And I was like, these are so dorky. No one's going to wear these. (laughs) I refuse. So she kept them. Wait, you refused to wear them even though she bought you this super considerate gift? I kept my Bose wired headphones. And then fast forward a couple of years and I was like, I really need AirPods. And so she gave me a newer pair of AirPods, which I do use. And so she still uses the old crappy ones that she originally tried to gift me. This is a terrible story (laughs) for you. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Did you correct her grammar after that also? (laughs) But she couldn't hear it because of the headphones. (laughs) It's AirPods Pro, not AirProPods. Exactly. And I love them. And I was wrong. So it's good to admit when you're wrong. Wow, that sounds like a life lesson that Cynical Mickey himself (laughs) would have delivered. Good throwback. (laughs) Alex, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Bets Recruiting. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Okay, friends, I am bringing you what I think may be the one and only time I allow myself to use a phrase like this on the podcast. Here we go. 
Let's talk about the future of work. I'm not telling you anything you don't know when I say the future of work is kind of happening right now. Companies all over are figuring out whether they want folks in the office or out of the office or kind of in the office or pods or whatever. You may be having those conversations at your company and you may or may not like what's being decided. Either way, the good news is you can join the Best Recruiting Network to find a company that's totally aligned with what you're looking for from your work setup. Whether that's being in office, best buds with your deskmate, or literally never finding out how tall your coworker is. Learn more about finding your next role or hiring top talent at bestrecruiting.com slash non-technical. And we're back with Alex Conrad, a senior editor at Forbes. Alex Conrad, do you know that we've reached a very exciting moment in this episode of non-technical? No, I do not. But please tell me why. I would love to tell you why. Thank you so much. We've arrived at the lightning round. Uh Uh-oh. This is the part that I should have prepared for and didn't. So now I'm nervous. (laughs) There's no way to prepare. Anything can happen in the lightning round. Are you ready? I guess so. Let's do it. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? Skim milk, no sugar. Really? Have you always done it like that? I don't know why, but that just became my thing. Yeah. If there's oat milk, I'll I'll mess with that. I'll mess with some oat milk. You'll mess with oat milk. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have a favorite board game? Gloomhaven. What is Gloomhaven? (laughs) It is an embarrassing additional fact about me. I'm in a like pseudo monthly board game club. Oh, yeah. I play this endless game. It's like half Dungeons and Dragons, half a regular board game. And you basically can never win. Wait, I want to play that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's just a great excuse to meet up. I do it with a few folks. We tried over Zoom during lockdown and that sucked. How long have you been playing Gloomhaven? We started in late 2019. No. With a hiatus last year because Zoom sucked for it, we are still going with the same game, yeah. So does somebody win ultimately? I think you theoretically win, but it takes like over 100 hours. And we did the math, and if no. we meet for three hours, we're only actually playing for half of that because, you know, yeah. we're we're hanging out, we're talking, we're, we're catching up. We may finish by the next pandemic, whenever that is. Oh my God. Wow. When you said Gloomhaven, it made it sound like it's the name of like a small, obscure town in Germany. It's the town in the mystical land of the game. So there okay. you go. <laughs> I, I heard it as more like, yeah, we got to go to Gloomhaven. <laughs> That's actually how all the characters sound. I don't know. You must play this game secretly, Alexis. I'm full of surprises. So when you make the bed, do you use a top sheet or no top sheet? I'm pro top sheet. My partner is anti top sheet. It is a constant battle. Wow. A mixed household. Mm -hmm. Who's winning right now? Whoever made the bed last. Oh, really? I think that was by me. Your life is also full of surprises because that means when you get into bed, there may or may not be a top sheet there. Totally chaotic. Oh my God. I couldn't live like that. Yeah. And usually my partner's already asleep. And so if (gasps) they've already screwed things up, then it's like, do I wake them for the top sheet? It's a big question. That's really tough. Well, congrats on maintaining a relationship through those struggles. Yeah. I mean, every day is a new risk thanks to the sheet. Good on you. Yeah. Okay. So have you ever read a book twice? Yes, but only a couple times. Oh, really? My favorite spy thriller book and then one of the Harry Potter books because I was little and I was impatient for the next one. Just one of the Harry Potter books you read twice? I think so. Which one? Goblet of Fire. Mm. It took a long time for book five to come out. It did. By the end of the books, I was kind of, maybe I was just getting older, but didn't want to reread the last ones. So. I'm with you. Well, I don't know if you remember the last movie, but like they had the same actors like Daniel Radcliffe and everything. And they basically yeah. like put a wig on them and were like, and now they're 30 years older. Oh, yeah. I thought that was so unnecessary. That kind of just ruined the whole thing for me. I know. You know, a lot of people our age that come on the podcast have read Harry Potter more than once, like a lot of them. Why is that? I think that what people don't understand, I think people younger than us don't understand is that it was a cultural phenomenon. 
it took over everything. When the new books yeah. came out, that was what people talked about. I once waited in line outside a mall. Oh my God. Did you dress up? I did not, but there were lots of people in line dressed up. And I felt really like I had half-assed it compared to them. What house would you be in? Definitely the house that everyone says they would be in, unless they're actually honest and say Slytherin. So I'd be in Gryffindor. What house do you think I would be in? I feel like I want to say Hufflepuff just to see how you react. So <laughs> <laughs> A knowing laugh. <laughs> now, the person who um, I just interviewed recently, Bremner Morris, he used to manage me. He hired me at Patreon and now he's the CEO of a company called Rally. And he said Ravenclaw or Slytherin. Me, a Slytherin. I think, you know, they're probably picking up on some of your humor. Just really, they're like, this is a little too close to home. That's a Slytherin jokes. Maybe that's what it is. Okay, so Alex, do you have a pump up song? I'd say if I really need to feel good, I go back yeah. to a goofy recent classic on Melancholy Hill. Do you remember What's that song that? from Gorillaz? No. You'll recognize it if you play it. Okay, I'm going to listen to it right after this. I guarantee you, you've heard it in a restaurant or a cafe or something, and okay. you're like, yeah, this is a feel-good song. Amazing. It's not Feel Good by the Gorillaz. That's Feel Good Inc. And oh, it is so different. Feel good this Inc. is so I'm much sorry. better. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I just got schooled. Okay, final question for you, Alex. What would you title your memoir? unfinished. If I'm writing a memoir right now, no one will read it. I would read it. Well, that's sweet. I would. If you wrote a memoir, I would read it, right? Like literally for sure this year. Okay. But Alexis, don't you think it's weird when people write memoirs like halfway through their career? I would call my memoir unfinished because I do hope that I have my best work to come. I have a personal project that I'm so excited to talk about soon, but it's just a little too early. Yay. And so I really hope that what people will know me for is yet to change, you know? And so that's why I would not yeah. want to be writing a memoir just yet. I don't want to double dip like the people who go for the congrats Twitter twice, saying they're leaving their okay. job to get the whole round of reactions and then saying <laughs> where they're going. I see like a mid-career yeah. memoir kind of like that. Okay. You could do vignettes or something. <laughs> I think the problem is calling it a memoir, right? At age, whatever. But if you were just going to write stories, I would definitely, I would read it. And I'm excited about your new project. I am writing something and I will be sharing more about it on Twitter as soon as I can. So I really Ooh. hope people will be excited. Yeah. Ooh, we love a tease. Can you give one word of a hint? Any word? Big. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, you heard it here first. Major scoop. <laughs> We got a major scoop. I'm sorry, you can't get a journalist. They're not going to give it up like that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I know. Alex, this is such a delight. Thank you so, so much for coming on Non-Technical. It was super fun. I hope I come back in the future. I hope so too. Where can people find more about you? They can find me on Twitter at, at Alex R. Conrad or at my author page on Forbes.com. Okay, amazing. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at Non-TechnicalPod on Twitter. Alex, one more time. Thanks again. This was so much fun. Oh, thank you so much. Hope everyone enjoyed. Yes, it was big. Okay, bye. Bye. 